ahead and grab your Bibles and make your way to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We're going to begin in verse 17 here in a moment. What we're doing this morning is something we do several times throughout the year where we take a pause from whatever series we're doing and we remind ourselves about who we are to be individually as God's people and who we are to be as a church. When Harvest Hill was founded, uh, before Jason was here or I was here, right? Uh, Where'd Jason go? <laughs> I guess he did his duty. He's done. All right. All right. So when Harvest Hill was founded, uh, it was founded with a simple purpose statement. And you can see it on the van. You can see it on the website. You can see it on Facebook. It was love God and love people. And the statement came from the greatest commandments, which can be found in both the Gospel of Matthew and the Gospel of Mark. The Gospel of Mark reads it as this. And Jesus answered, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your strength, with all your soul, with all your mind. And the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no greater commandment than these. And so this is our purpose as a church. And it's our purpose as people. We're commanded by God to love him and to love people. And so back in 2017, we launched what is known as the Heartbeat of Harvest Hill. And the heartbeat is to give us a map. It's to give us guidance on how do we fulfill what God has commanded us to do in loving him and loving people. And we call it the heartbeat because all of us have a heartbeat. <clears throat> and we're healthy individuals when our heart is strong and it is healthy and it is beating correctly. And the same goes for our spiritual hearts and for the heart of the church the Bible tells us in the book of Proverbs chapter 29 that where there is no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint. And the word restraint means that the people will get discouraged. The people will perish. And it speaks of prophetic visions. It's keeping in mind the roles of the prophets that God sent to his people in order to give them guidance and sometimes to correct them when they were going the wrong direction. And so this is what our heartbeat does. It's to give us guidance. It's to correct us if we start steering in the wrong direction. It's to keep us focused on what we are called to do, again, individually and as a church. And as mentioned, we have four bulletin boards that are in the back of the worship hall here. Each one has a word above them, which captures each stage of the heartbeat that we're going to unfold this morning. But here it is in simple terms. First stage is to meet Jesus. And then we are to mature in our relationship with God. This is what some people define as discipleship. We are to be on mission or ministry for the kingdom of God, and we are to multiply by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so we're going to be looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning in verse 17, and running to chapter 6, uh, verse 1 this morning, to unpack this heartbeat and the meaning that it has in our life. A little context, when we come into first or 2 Corinthians, uh, it's written by the Apostle Paul. He's writing to a group of believers in an area known as Corinth. This is obviously the second letter we have in the Bible, though when you read through First and Second Corinthians, there seems to be an indication that there was actually a third letter which was not included in the Scriptures. Paul is writing to these believers, this church, because there's a lot of dysfunction. There was the superiority complex. There were believers within the church that thought they were better than other believers because of gifts they had or things they did or the money they had. And so there was a lot of things going on. There was a lot of issues within the church. And so what Paul is led to do by the power of the Holy Spirit in First and Second Corinthians is to give instruction to the church in order to correct their behavior. 
because they were not glorifying God. They were not being a faithful witness to the gospel of Jesus Christ. They were losing their focus on what their purpose was as a church and as a body of believers. Just as a definition, the church is not a building. The church is when God's people gather together in the name of Christ. That is what forms the church. It's not an address for the post office to find. It's not something you can Google map. When we come together, we form the church. And we come to the heartbeat because as Paul is writing to these believers in Corinth who have lost their focus, the reason we come to this heartbeat continually is because we cannot lose our focus as God's people. We cannot lose our focus as the church or the bride of Christ. So let's read our passage again, beginning in verse 17 of 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Working together with him, then we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. So the first step when it comes to the heartbeat is to meet Jesus. You cannot have a healthy heart unless Jesus is your Lord and Savior. You cannot have a heart that is right with God unless Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior. Because without Jesus and without meeting Jesus, all you have in your heart and all we have in our heart is the sinful nature. And so in that sinful nature, what we do is we seek to fill the void. And that's what the world does. It seeks to fill the void that only Jesus can fill. And so it begins by meeting Jesus. And what Paul does in our passage is he tells us the implication of what it means to actually meet Jesus and be in Jesus. Beginning in verse 17, he starts with this emphatic concluding word, therefore. It's taken from a previous statement in verses 14 and 15 where Paul is concluding what he wrote there. He says, for the love of Christ controls us because he has, we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who might live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised, therefore. When it says the love of Christ controls us, that word control in the Greek means it compels us. It empowers us. It drives us to do the things that we do. If we're found in Christ, which is the hypothetical statement there in verse 17, when he says, if anyone is in Christ, if we're found in Christ, we are now a new creation. He says, the old has passed away, behold, the new has come. And this is a big statement that the Holy Spirit put upon Paul's heart to write to these believers and for us to read today. It means that when we met Jesus, if you are found in Christ, you consider yourself a Christian, a believer, you've made that confession of faith, whatever stage of life that was in, whether you're young or old, when you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior for the forgiveness of your sins and the gift of eternal life, Paul is led by the Spirit to say, you are now completely new. This was not a patch job. He says, you're new, and that word new means you're fresh. 
You've been given a new identity. The implications of just that one verse means that we are no longer seen by God as a sinner. But now we're seen by God, our Heavenly Father, as a saint. It means God no longer sees you and me as an enemy of his. But now we are seen as children of God. We are seen as heirs to the kingdom. We're covered now with the full righteousness of Christ. That is the newness that God gave us at salvation. It means that we are no longer to be attached to the things of this world. We no longer see things through the lens of this world. We don't have the mentality that this world has because we are completely new. The moment our salvation, God completely changed who we were. New, meaning fresh. I don't care if it's an ugly baby or a cute baby, but there's something about the way a new baby smells, isn't there? They just have that smell that you're like, hmm. Again, they don't have to be cute, (laughs) but they've got that smell. They're fresh. God, through Jesus Christ, wiped the stench of our sin away and made us fresh. He made us new. A couple of weeks ago, many of us headed out and we went to go vote. <clears throat> However you felt about it, I don't really care now, but to go vote, you had to have some sort of identification. Usually it's a driver's license or something like that. And, and on that driver's license, many of us know we have our name and there's our address or there's numbers that the government has attached to us to identify us when we do the wonderful thing of taxes. Our weight's on there, whether it's accurate or not, it's there, right? We've got our eye color, our height, and there's some other information on there about us, whether we're a donor or blood type. So when... When we met Jesus Christ, he completely changed our ID. He completely changed our identity. No longer in sin, but now in Christ. It's what's known as a spiritual metamorphosis. This is what Paul is speaking about in verse 18. And he lets us know that this change is not of our own doing. All this is from God. He was the source. And he reconciled us to himself. And that word reconcile, it carries the meaning of being brought back into harmony. To be brought back into harmony with God. Now, I know we've got some singers here and people who are very talented at singing. And I'm not a big quartet fan. (laughs) Um, But I am always amazed when you hear several different voices in harmony. And my harmony is singing like an octave higher or an octave lower. That's about as close as I get. And that's not really called harmony. And when you come to harmony, the best way I can explain it, and I'm not a musical theory major or anything like that, but you know, I do like to play the guitar every now and then. And on the guitar, you play chords like Nick was doing earlier. And one of the simpler chords to describe is the chord of G. When you play the chord of G, you're not just playing the note G. You're playing G's, you're playing B, you're playing D. Again, not to do music theory or anything like that, but it captures the meaning of being reconciled. See, before we came to Christ and before we were found in Christ, we were out of tune with God. We were making noise. 
We were making the wrong notes. We were in sin. But now that we are in Christ, we are reconciled, which means now we are completely harmonized with God. And so if you've ever been to a band concert, I get to go to many band concerts because both our kids play in the band. Well, when they start in sixth grade, it's really a pleasure (laughs) because none of them are playing the right notes. None of them are playing the right tempo. They're all over the place, and you're just kind of sitting there. I mean, it's like fingernails down a chalkboard. And I love my children, but really, they're learning how to play. And that first concert that happens in the fall is just like, I mean, and my wife, Jamie, she knows it. She'll just, she'll like put her hand on my leg or on my shoulder and just kind of tap, trying to get me to calm down. But as they get older, and as they had more practice, and you start going to concerts later on, maybe eighth grade, seventh grade, high school, all the instruments are coming together. And it becomes something that's beautiful, something that you can recognize, something that you can enjoy. This is what reconciliation is speaking to us, is that before we came to Christ, we were all over the place. It was like we just picked up the instrument for the first time. We were all over the place. But when we came to Christ and we are now with Christ, God has made us beautiful. He's made us harmonize. He's made a work of art. But that's not where it can end when it comes to meeting Jesus. And it brings us to our second step of of our heartbeat. That we're called to mature in our relationship with God. And the reason we're called to mature is because our natural instinct is the sinful nature. We're all born in sin. And at times we tend to fall back into that nature where we do things we know we shouldn't do. And we don't do things we know we should do. You know, Paul had the same wrestling match in Romans chapter 7. Paul understood that this is what happens. We come to Christ, we are reconciled, but we're still going to have this wrestling match. He says, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing that I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law, that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells within me. What Paul is laying out there in Romans 7 is, is... this wrestling match that we all have to deal with even though we've met Jesus. He wrote to the believers later in Romans that because this wrestling match, that we are to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. And in order to do this, and the reason we do this is so that we can be transformed by the renewal of our minds. To the letters to the Corinthian believers, he's charging them to wake up. And he's charging them to grow up so they would stop acting like the world. Their lack of maturing was impacting their witness. It was impacting their fellowship with one another. And it was impacting their relationship with God. And so we are to mature not so we can boast in ourselves, but so that we can further boast in Christ. Our maturing isn't so we can gain more head knowledge. It's so we can grow closer to God and and deeper with God. 
A lot of us have been to churches where there's been situations and problems that seem to stem up and sometimes divide a church. You know what that reveals? A lack of spiritual maturity. Where we actually think it's about us when it's not. When we grow in our relationship with God, it impacts our heart, it impacts our mind, our soul, and our strength. All the things to which God commanded us to love him with. So what we do, we, we read scripture. Study scripture. Those are two different things. Memorize the word of God. And when you do that, you realize, you know what? It isn't about me because it's what Christ and God did for me that I can now be restored back in a relationship with God. And so therefore, when I mature in my relationship, what happens is only God is on display. I only bring him glory because I understand that I am worthless without him. I am a sinner without him. I am lost without him. And as I mature, all I want to do is I want to proclaim him and put him front and center. So to mature, we got to grow in words and phrases that are found throughout Scripture that we really don't use very often outside of the church. But we need to come to an understanding of what these words mean. One of those was reconcile that we dealt with already. Righteousness, atonement, sanctification, grace, mercy, forgiveness, eternal life, sacrifice, purification. And there's other words. As God's people, we should know what those words mean because they give us a deeper understanding and appreciation and an awe of the salvation that we have. And we won't be about us. You know, the main reason I hear from believers and why they don't share the gospel they say it one or two ways is this. One, I don't feel I know enough. The other reason is I'm afraid I'll say the wrong thing. You ever had that excuse? I don't want to say the wrong thing. You know the fix to that problem? It's to mature in your relationship with God. It's to know him more. Otherwise, you'll never have a healthy spiritual heart which moves us to our third stage, to be on mission and ministry for the kingdom of God. Paul was read a lot right in verses 18 and 19 and 20. The reason we have been reconciled to God through Christ are for these things. For the ministry of reconciliation, verse 18. For the message of reconciliation, verse 19. And because we are ambassadors for Christ, verse 20. It means that we aren't just saved to say, you know, I'm saved, but we are saved for a greater purpose, which is to represent Jesus Christ in ministry and message. As Christ has reconciled us, now God and Christ wants us to take that message to people so they can be reconciled as well. This is our mission. This is our ministry as God's people, that if we are in Christ then now God is going to make his appeal through us. Not just the preacher, not the leadership of, at the church, not the youth pastor, but God wants to make his appeal through all of his children. Paul doesn't say it in these particular passage, but he's saying that now that you're in Christ, that God has given you the Holy Spirit. That is the seal of your salvation, but also the Holy Spirit is to empower you and enable you to carry out Christ's mission. 
So when you think about, okay, when was I saved, whatever age that was, here's what happened at salvation. When you accepted Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, you found forgiveness for your sins, gifted the Holy Spirit, promised eternal life in heaven. Here's what God did. He handed you the baton of Christ's ministry. He said, now you take the message. And that's for all of God's people. The word ministry in Scripture carries the meaning of serving, serving. And so we serve the kingdom of God by ministering to others. And this might be to believers in Bible study or it might be to unbelievers and just sharing the gospel. And if God has called you to Harvest Hill, you say, this is where I believe God wants me to be. Whether you've made a, a formal statement of being a member or not, but you are continually drawn to this place to gather with God's people, then God has called you here to serve. He's brought you here not to fill a seat, praise the Lord, but to serve. You're not serving a chair. (laughs) You're being served in this moment. And so God has brought you here to be a part of what God is doing through this church, this body of believers. And if you deem this your church family, again, I don't care if you've made it official with the membership or not, but you deem this is where God wants you to be then God has brought you to serve, to be on mission, and to be involved in ministry. And here's the beauty about it. If you're a child of God, he's given you the Holy Spirit, which means he's given you spiritual gifts and skills that are to be used for his glory, not to be sat on, not to be wasted. In the book of Galatians, after Paul points out the spiritual gifts in chapter 5, he goes on to say, and let us not go weary of doing good, For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially to those who are the household of faith. One thing I have heard as a pastor is when I talk about being in ministry, being on mission, serving, one response I typically get is, well, pastor, I don't know where to serve. I don't know where to get plugged in. Well, here, here, let me just give you some ideas. We're always looking for people to help out in the nursery. And some of you are like, wow, that's not, that's not serving. You're serving a family. You're serving a couple. Allowing them to be in here and not to have to worry about their kids because they know they're in a safe place and they're being watched by adults. We always need help in children's church. You may say, well, I don't know if I'm a teacher. You know what? Sometimes we just need an extra body because there are some kids that just need a little extra love. Maybe you're one of those people that just kind of has that sixth sense. You have a, a feeling when something's off. Well, we have a security team. Some of you all know that. Some of you all don't. But we could use more people on a security team. So that way there's... Guys and gals that aren't always having to be out in the foyer, but they can be in here worshiping with their families as well. And we have people on rotation. We have kids that come on Wednesday night. If you don't come on Wednesday night and you're looking for a place to serve, come on Wednesday night. We have kids who need a buddy. We want them to be here. It hurts when we have to take them home because there's no one there to to give them a little extra attention that they need. This is one place some of those kids come on Wednesday night where they only find discipline here. They only find people who love them here. They only get a supper 
on that night. And we need adults that are willing just to sit with them, to, to talk with them. That's all it is, is just talking with them. Maybe coloring with them. Doing a puzzle with them. Maybe you've got something that God has laid on your heart that, you know, I, I, you want to start a Bible study. Well, start one. Come find me. Come find Charlie. Come find Mike. Say, hey, God has put this on my heart. I want to start. You know, there's a ladies' Bible study. that That's how it started. The ladies wanted to get together for worship. You know what? We've got other rooms that can be used. I know we don't have an official Sunday school type title, but maybe that's what God's put on your heart that, you know, I, I want to gather with people. I want to get into the word of God. And you may not have all the answers. You may not know all the scripture verses and things like that, but you're just going to gather. You're going to let iron sharpen iron. Maybe it's God has put a ministry on your heart. Something that we're not doing here as a church. You know what? When God puts a ministry idea on someone's heart, it, he doesn't put it there so you can come tell me, hey, we should start this ministry. He's put it on your heart. So you can bring it to me. You can bring it to our leadership and say, hey, this is what God has placed in my heart. I think we should start doing this. And we will give you as much aid and resources as we possibly can. That's what happened with the special needs ministry that, that started this last year. It was placed on Charla's heart. She came and talked to me about it. And I said, I'll help you however you want. But you definitely have more head knowledge about this than I do. And so she wanted to set up training. She wanted to get volunteers. You're here to serve. You're here to be a part of what God wants to do in this church and in this community. And so the point of being on mission and ministry is this simple one. Get involved. Get plugged in. And the final stage of our heartbeat is to multiply by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is what Jesus commanded. He said, go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. In the book of Acts chapter 1 verse 8, he says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and all Samaria and to the end of the earth. And I want to just, because we know those verses, I, I, we're familiar with them. But did you catch how Jesus said it? He didn't say, you know, if you think about it, you should go. He didn't say, well, if, you know, after you pray about it, you should go. He didn't say that, you know, when you get the Holy Spirit, which that's what happens when you meet Jesus, when you come to salvation. He didn't say when you get the Holy Spirit, you know, you might be able to witness. No, Jesus was very emphatic about that. He says go. That word go in the Greek means as you are going. It's implied that we are going to be people of movement and action. As you go, make disciples. And when he said that the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you, he didn't say you might be a witness. He says you will be my witnesses. That sounds like marching orders to me. <laughs> Paul says back in 2 Corinthians verse 1 of chapter 6 that we work together with him. That means when we're doing these things, we are co-workers with Christ. 
I don't know where you work physically. I don't know if you enjoy your coworkers or not. But now that I'm a child of God, I am a coworker with Christ. I have been empowered, commanded, and commissioned to go work with him. The implication is that if we're not doing the work that God has empowered us to do, commissioned and command us, gave us the ministry to do, the message to deliver. The implication there in verse 1 of chapter 6 is that we have received God's grace in vain. The word or phrase in vain in the Greek means that we have made all that God has done through Christ for us look stupid. That's what in vain means. We've made it meaningless. Made it empty. That's a pretty in-your-face type of statement. It says that if we're not in the ministry of reconciliation... We're not delivering the message of reconciliation. We're not being ambassadors for Christ. Then we have made God's gift of salvation look foolish. That's what Paul's saying. That's what the Holy Spirit led him to write. In 1 Corinthians, Paul speaks that since Christ has been raised from the dead, then our preaching, our proclaiming, our faith, will never be in vain. And so we're called to multiply, to share our faith with others, to proclaim the good news to the world so others can have the same opportunity as us. And this is what happens. When we do that, when we multiply, what what that implies is we're allowing people to meet Jesus just as we met Jesus. And then we come alongside of them. We help them mature in their relationship. We help them get plugged in to the ministry and mission of God so they can multiply And then it starts all over. Meet, mature, mission, multiply. That's why you're saved. It's because someone proclaimed the message of reconciliation to you. And you met Jesus. There might be some here today who need a spiritual heart transformation. And this is the gospel, the ministry, the message that we preach. That God created you for a relationship with him. That's your sole purpose in life. It's not about making a paycheck, earning retirement. It's to be in a relationship with God because that's what you're created for. The problem is, is that sin separates us from that relationship. And sin is something that we all have to wrestle with and we all have to deal with. It is falling short of God's glory, his, holy, his perf- holiness, his perfection. It's those things that we want to keep in the closet. It's those things we don't want to proclaim to people because we're embarrassed about them. That's sin. And some of us and some people think that, you know, if I just go to church enough, if I just be a good person, if I just autocorrect that issue, that'll fix it. But that's not how salvation works because that's why Jesus Christ came. God sent his only son to this earth to live a perfect life according to God's holy standards so that he could die on a cross by taking the wrath of God, the punishment for our sin, He died, they placed him in a tomb, and he rose three days later, which is why we celebrate Easter. It's why we gather on Sunday, by the way, because it's known as the Lord's Day in Scripture. 
And he rose so that he could show that he has the power over death and the authority to forgive sins and grant eternal life. And if you're here this morning and you've yet to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then this is the first step you need to take. You need to meet Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And you admit to God that you're a sinner. You believe that Jesus Christ died for your sins and rose again and you'll be forgiven. And then the final thing, Romans 10 tells us we have to confess him. Confess our need for him. Confess our need for forgiveness. And confess that he is our Lord and Savior. So if you're here this morning and you've yet to do that, I'm going to be standing right here. You can come straight to me. You can come sit in the front row. I'll pray with you. I'll celebrate with you. But maybe today means to be the day of your salvation. You need to meet Jesus today for the first time. Let's pray together. I'm going to ask Nick come up and lead us in a song. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for taking care of us, Lord. Thank you for entrusting us with such an incredible task. And then, Lord, empowering us to carry out that task. And Lord, I know we're all on different stages in our relationship with you. Some of us are just now growing. Some of us are just now getting deeper. But Lord, give us a heart that thirsts for you like the deer. We pant for you. we got to have more of you. As you continue to watch over this church, it's your church. This is your bride. That you continue to unite us in love. And you continue to keep us on task on what we should be doing. Knowing that it's not about us, but it's about you. And that we be a church that always proclaims you. Thank you for what you're doing here this morning, Lord. If there's anyone who needs to accept you as their Lord and Savior, I pray this morning your spirit would come upon them, they would have that understanding. And that today would be their day of salvation. Thank you for loving us, for reconciling us. We ask you to continue to receive the glory and praise on the name of Jesus. Amen.